God, I'm hungry for your word. I'm hungry for your presence. Your presence comes through your word. Speak to me, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's got a word for us today. Asking a good question often leads to breakthrough or innovation. Asking a good question often leads to breakthrough in your own life or innovation. I had the privilege of spending uh, three days last week at a conference called Q. Uh, Q was held in Nashville, Tennessee this last week. And next year at the same time, it'll be in Boston. So I'm really encouraging many of us to attend. And Q's little mantra is, uh, let me see if I can do it. Stay curious, think well, advance good. And Q is just a great place for cultural leaders in all sorts of um, domains, whether it be media or art or business or science, to just share conversations uh, and say, Lord, how do we renew the cultures of this earth by the kingdom of God in these domains? Really, the best way to like to think about it is if you're familiar with TED Talks, you know, TED, uh, I think it stands for something, something, a design, technology, engineering design, technology, education design, I'm not sure. Does anyone know what TED actually stands for? Yes. Boom, my second one. Okay, there you go. Technology, education, design. But, you know, they just, they just give speakers, you know, a brief little time to share what's going on. Anyway, so I enjoyed Q because of this whole stay curious, ask good questions. We as believers should not be afraid of asking good questions. But for me, the trip actually started on the airplane when I opened up the Spirit in-flight magazine on Southwest. And I read an article about a journalist named Arthur Warren Berger. And Berger's been studying innovators. He's been studying entrepreneurs. And he's written a book called Beautiful Question. Beautiful Question. A, actually, sorry, that's not the whole title. The whole title is A More Beautiful Question. A More Beautiful Question. And the idea is, the main idea of the book is, is if we ask good questions, we can get to breakthrough. We can get to innovation. If we ask, and usually the format it follows is why, what if, and how. So as an example, there's a businesswoman who visited New York City in the 1900s. And she asked the question, why is it that the only way we can clear off a windshield is by opening the door, opening the shield, and clean it off, you know, get the ice off? She said, what if we could do that better? Hence came, eventually, the windshield wiper. Don't you appreciate that? How do we do it? She, she figured out how to do it, right? Similar thing happened. A three-year-old named Jennifer Land, she was on vacation with her family, and including her dad, Edwin Land, and they're in Santa Fe, and she just asked, why can't I have the picture right now? You know, we're taking these beautiful pictures, why can't we have it right now? Edwin Land, her father's an inventor, and within the hour, he had thought out the process that would then produce the Polaroid camera in the late 40s, early 50s, right? That if you... That might be beyond or before some of your time, but that's the one that my grandmother had that you take the picture and out it comes. And you just kind of shake it like this, and it's, uh, you got a picture right there. And similarly, uh, you're probably a little bit more familiar with this one, but Martin Cooper was the general manager of Motorola's communications division. And he asked the question, why, when we want to reach a person, do we have to call a place? And eventually he said, what if we could actually just call a person and the result is what you and I all have in our pockets, and that is our cell phone, okay? 
Asking a good question often can bring us to breakthrough. And that's exactly what happened with this crowd around Jesus as we read Luke 13 together. I want you to get Luke 13 uh, up if you have it in your Bible. Great. Or your electronic Bible. Great. If you don't have it, it should be up here. And watch, notice the question that is implied by the crowd and look at the breakthrough they get as far as a revelation of God's character, an innovation for them of what God is actually like. And it's a journey that often uh, many of us are on. Okay, so Luke 13. There were some present at that very time. And at this time, what's happening is there's large crowds gathering around Jesus. And the scene looks like this. There's back and forth between people shouting out to Jesus like, ah, what about this? And then Jesus just kind of huddling with the 12 and saying, hey, guys, let me give you the... Let me give you some response here, okay? So there's a lot of these, these chapters leading up to Luke 13. It's, it's a large crowd, Jesus responding to some of them, but always bringing in the 12 and saying, hey, let me tell you more about this, okay? So there were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. I'll share about that briefly. Let's continue, verses 2 through 5. And he answered them, Jesus answered them, do you think, that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. Verse 3. Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We'll pause there. So what's happening here? The crowds gathered around Jesus, right? And they have a question. It is a question. It's not, it's not stated as a question, but you can see in, in these verses that a question is implied. And they're wondering about this tragic event that happened. And the best that we can collect from history is that um, Pontius Pilate, the one who uh, was, uh, had the conversation with Jesus before uh, sending him to death, Pontius Pilate had found out about a group of kind of Jewish rebels uh, in Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem and Judea, and they were just not willing to sacrifice anything to Caesar. They weren't willing to pay homage to Caesar. And not only that, but they said the sacrifices they were making, like the Jewish kind of ritual sacrifices, could only be made to God. And so this got, uh, this got Pontius Pilate so angry that he actually, while they were sacrificing, he had them slain. So as they were doing the ritual sacrifices, like of the lambs, the goats, and whatnot, Pilate has them slain. And so that's the mingling of the blood. These blood of these Jewish Galileans is mingled with the blood that they're actually sacrificing. Okay, And some scholars think that this was actually the source of the discontent or the contention between Herod and Pilate. For some of you remembering the Easter narrative that, that we looked at, uh, not in the service last week, but as you read the Easter narrative, you remember that uh, as uh, Pilate and Herod kind of traded the prisoner Jesus off, there was something mentioned about them coming together and becoming friends again. Some scholars believe that this was the thing that made them en- enemies because Pilate's territory is really just Judea. He was responsible for Jerusalem. And so he kind of extends and goes up to northern Galilee and says, I'm so mad at what these guys are doing because they're not bowing the knee to Caesar. Boom, let's slay them. And he slays them right while they're doing their ritual, their, their Jewish sacrifices. And then Herod, who is responsible for Galilee, gets ticked off because Pilate's 
in his, is in his state. He's in his area. That's conjecture, but it's, it's scholarship that, that makes that guess. So the point being, something really bad happened, right? We just enjoyed the Boston Marathon last week. So think of it akin to the, the, the marathon bombing a year ago, right? Something really terrible happens. Or think back to, do you remember the day after Christmas in 2004? An earthquake rocked uh, Indonesia and the resulting tsunami, right, that hit all of southeastern Asia. Something really bad happens. And can I actually tell you, I remember 10 years ago when that tsunami hit. Can I tell you the first thing that I actually thought? In my mind, I went right to Genesis 18 where I remember a conversation that Abram was having with God regarding uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And that conversation goes, you know, hey, if there's 50 people that are righteous, will you spare it? God says yes. And the conversation, if you remember, ends at 10. It ends at 10 where, hey, if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, God, will you spare it? And God says, yes, I will. So in my mind, I immediately think, God, are you telling me that in Thailand, and in Sri Lanka, and in Indonesia, there are not nine righteous people? What is this? Is this the judgment of God? Similar question I had. 2010, the earthquake hits Haiti. And I'm thinking, God, is this your judgment on the voodoo culture of Haiti and just the total corruption there? 2011, the tsunami that hits Japan. God, is this your judgment on Confucianism or the imported Buddhism that happens in Japan? In other words, these bad events, you know what they do? They expose in us a judgment. And so listen to what's happening. This bad event is happening. Can you imagine the scene? The crowd is like around Jesus. Here's a righteous man. Here's a God man. And they're asking the question, why? Right? Why did this happen, Jesus? What is up? What's your commentary? Man of God, what's your commentary? Answer the question of the problem of evil for us today. You know, why did this bad thing happen? And Jesus says, hey, not only that thing, but what about that thing that happened in Jerusalem? Siloam was this tower that apparently, you know, fell on some people. Eighteen were killed. And so the crowd, people from the crowd ask a theological question. Why? not a bad question to ask. But Jesus, you know, they, they, they come at Jesus with kind of an intellectual question, which is important. But I love what Jesus comes back with. He comes back with a heart response of, hey, are those guys any worse? These guys who were uh, pretty adamant kind of politically saying, we're not going to bow down to Caesar. Are they worse than you? Is that, is that what the deal is? Or these guys who... Uh, got crushed by this tower? Are they worse than you? Jesus says, that's not the issue. Right? Your question is important. I'm going to bring you some breakthrough here. And the breakthrough is, but unless you repent, you'll also perish. Unless you repent, you'll also perish. When bad things happen, It's amazing to me how my own heart of judgment gets exposed in the sense that is the voodoo that goes on in Haiti, is that worse than the materialism of North America? Surely not. Were there 
less than nine followers of Jesus in Haiti? Is that why God allowed an earthquake to devastate it? Surely there were way more. Surely the faith of many Haitians is way bigger than my own. So Jesus kind of lays the heavy. says, unless you repent, you may also perish. Our own judgment is exposed. Because post-fall, you and me, I don't know about, about you, but post the fall, we are very easy to, we are quick to assume bad motives on other people, other nations. And we're very self-righteous about our own motives. Or about, say, our own ethnicity, our own ethnocentric kind of identity. But I love, Jesus just doesn't end there. If that was just the period, it'd kind of be like, whoa, you know. I, I, I framed this, this, this conversation today saying, ask good questions, right? Asking a good question leads to breakthrough. And if all the breakthrough was, hey, why did this happen, Jesus? And he just says, repent. That's kind of a downer, isn't it? I mean, it's the best news in the world to repent. I, but it's a little bit of a heavy. But now Jesus adds a second piece. And it's a second piece that just really gets me excited. He doesn't just end there. Let's go on in 6 through 9. And he told this parable. All right, Jesus says, hey, repent or perish. Sing. But let me tell you something about God. And he, he shares this parable. He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it. And what did he find? He found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. I'm done. Why should it use up the ground? Wow, this tree is just a waste of resources, right? And he... The vine dresser answers him saying, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, put on manure. That's a good thing for plants and trees and things. It's not a bad thing. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So here's where the why question that the people were asking comes to breakthrough, comes to innovation. Because what do we learn of God's character? Do you hear do you see, do you perceive the kindness of God in this parable? Right? The thing's not bearing fruit. It hasn't for three years. Let's be done with it. And the vine just says, wait one more year. Let me tend to it. Give me another chance. Give us another chance to have this thing bear fruit. And when I read this parable, I'm instantly struck by the kindness of God to me. Because how much has God loved me? How much has God tended graciously with me? How much has he instructed me in his word? And yet, how many places in my life, and I feel loved by God, I feel secure, I feel generally happy, but how many places in my life don't bear the fruit that I believe he would have me bear? And I'm thinking back to the conversation, actually in the same gospel, it's Luke's gospel, that talks about when John the Baptist was preaching. And when John the Baptist was preaching, he's like, you know, he's a kind of intense guy too, right? Everyone's coming to get baptized by him. Maybe we should try this next week at our baptism service, right? 
the first thing when you guys come to get baptized, I'm just going to call you all brood of vipers. All right, how does that sound? We'll build some rapport there. Hey, snake, what's up? You want to get baptized? Okay. <laughs> so that's what John does. People are coming under the conviction of God saying, we want to get baptized. His first words are, you're a snake. Who told you to get baptized? Right? Real encouraging guy. Right? But they're really under the conviction of God because they say, well, what should we do? What should we do? And his response is, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's still a little bit, uh, that's too abstract. So then different ones say, well, what should we do? He says, all right, you guys, you tax collectors, stop cheating. All right? And he says, you soldiers, stop complaining about your wages. Don't extort people. Right? And, and so forth. And so I just think the same thing. Man, there's places where God's been continually kind to me. And yet, I don't know that this branch or that branch is bearing all the fruit it should. And I get encouraged because I read this and I hear in the heart of God, wait, I'm going to give Neil another chance. I'm going to give you another chance because he's so kind. He's so patient. It's just his nature. Just as sure as the sun came up today and it will set tonight and the earth will stay in its orbit, as, as sure as all that is to, to be true, he is just kind to you and he is waiting and he just tends to you. He, he uh, gently tends to you, giving the sun, the water, the rain, everything you need. He's going to keep doing it because he just loves you and he's for you. All right? I know it may sound a little severe, but he's actually incredibly gracious and incredibly kind. Amen? He's patient with us. He's kind. And of course, this theme is one that both the apostles Peter and Paul will pick up on. And I think they pick, on it, they pick up on it both because they've experienced it so much. Peter and Paul are both personally, experientially aware of this parable happening in their lives. They know what it is to have, should have been bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, but not falling through all the time. They've experienced the kindness and the goodness of God. And so Peter expresses it this way in his uh, second letter. This is 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. He says, but do not. And remember, he's encouraging saints, uh, I believe, in Rome. Someone can correct me. We have a lot of wisdom in this room. Is that right? 2 Peter, I think, is writing to saints in Rome. Is that true? Somebody shout it out. Petco? Yeah, we're good? All right, thank you. Fact check, thank you. Seminary check, thank you. Okay, so Peter's saying, so to a church that is undergoing great persecution, by the way, a church that is uh, watching their friends getting eaten by lions if they say they love Jesus, and Peter says, hey, don't overlook this one fact, beloved. Because you can imagine, the church in Rome is probably really excited about the end coming soon if their friends are getting eaten by lions because they love Jesus. So he says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Everyone say, God is patient. Say, God is patient with me. God is kind to me. He is. He's patient with you. He's kind. He is longing for you to bear fruit and keeping with repentance. And he's so gracious that he never gives up on you. And Paul picks up on the same theme in actually in his letter to the Romans. It's Romans 2, chapter 4. He's asking a series of questions. And he says this. And uh, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. 
In other words, he just kind of, uh, he is, in the context of that passage, he's trying to say that, um, uh, sorry. Yeah, he's, not, he's just saying, hey, God's not being patient, so you can just be more judgmental. But God's being patient so that you'll, you'll, you'll repent, and you'll turn to him. It was so fun. Just yesterday at a wedding, I remember having this, this same conversation with someone. And the conversation was, hey, there's a decade in my life, kind of 25 to 35, I'd say, that felt really dark. And I really thought that I dug myself in pits so deep that there's no way that God could love me out of them. But I've experienced firsthand this great patience, this great kindness. You know, At age 25, I'm a training school graduate. I've been through the training school. I quit my job. I went to plant a church. In other words, I was doing everything I was supposed to do. But inward, there was great darkness, great shame, great pain. And I just thought, God, surely you're going to kick me to the curb. Surely this tree, this fig tree that I am is getting cut down. And yet my experience over these last 15 years has been nothing but kindness, nothing but the patience of God, nothing but God putting the best manure around me. So I could grow and be fertilized. And he just keeps loving me, keeps being kind to me, and he keeps being tender to me because he's so patient. So do I need to repent or perish? Absolutely. Do you and me, do we need to repent or perish? Sure, we need to be quick to repent. And actually, we want to live lifestyles of repentance, right? We should wake up and say, God, what's that old song? In the morning, give me Jesus, right? Can someone, how does that go? In the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Josh. Give me Jesus in the morning. Let me get on my knees. Let me get on my face. Say, Lord, I need you. And you're good. And I'm not. I mean, by your grace, I'm being restored and healed. It's not, I'm, I'm, I am created wonderfully in the image of God. I'm an image bearer. But without you, I'm morally bankrupt, right? So God, deliver me and rescue. It's just good to live a lifestyle of repentance and knowing that he's incredibly kind. He's incredibly patient. He's just so good. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) I was four days at a conference, so it's kind of sermon light this week. Bless you. Bless me. God's good. (laughs) Um, Dash, come on up. Let's have a little... uh, Repent and um, receive the kindness of God. Really, just two, two questions I have for you today. We started out just saying, um, uh, asking a question, asking a good question, or as this author, Berger, says, asking a beautiful question is what can often lead to breakthrough or innovation. So I wonder today if there is a tragedy, a triumph, or a trial that you need to reframe or have reframed for you by just asking God, a good question. And maybe it is simply the why question. Why, God, why? Because Jesus answers, right? They asked the why question. They asked, why did this tragedy happen? And Jesus responded. He did respond. He responded with a heart answer. And I guarantee that when you ask the why question about your trial, your tragedy, your triumph even, whatever's occupying you emotionally a lot, maybe it is a triumph. You just ask him a question. Get the reframe that he wants to give you. It's often going to include your repentance and his kindness, right? We get to repent, and we get to learn how incredibly patient, kind, and good he is. Amen? So we'll just wait on the Lord here for a second, and um, you just ask the Lord, 
hey, Lord, do I need to reframe? Or could you please reframe for me this tragedy, this trial, this triumph in my life? And if you got nothing there, then maybe just ask God, Lord, will you just, just tell me about your character again? You know, Jesus, with the parable, says, look at how kind and patient God is. Maybe you need that reframe also. Maybe you need just a fresh, God, tell me again who you are. Tell me that you're patient. Tell me that you're kind. Tell me that you're good. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you in. And thank you, Jesus, you are not intimidated or thrown off balance by us asking a good question. Holy Spirit, I'm aware that many people in this room need fresh breakthrough. And many of us need innovation in our thinking about whatever that trial, tragedy, or triumph is. And frankly, we need a fresh revelation of the goodness of God, His kindness, His patience directed at us. So come, Holy Spirit, minister to your people truth. Lord, some of us just need the good question to ask. So I pray where some of us are so traumatized or paralyzed by this, that, or the other, we actually just need the Holy Spirit to give us the words to ask of Jesus. Do that, Holy Spirit, just as only you can. just reminded of how it's in John's gospel where we hear in John 1 that Jesus, you come with grace and truth. That is so the, the fact, that is so the reality of these nine verses. That you came with truth and the truth is repent or perish. But then you also come with great grace, which is God's really kind. He's really patient. He's willing to wait. He's willing to tend your tree another year and another and another and another because he's so good. And God, I'm just so glad. We also know from John's gospel that Jesus, you're the one who's appointed us to bear fruit. You no longer call us slaves, but you call us friends. And you're the one who's appointed us to bear fruit. So you're actually more into our bearing fruit and keeping with repentance than we are. So thank you, God. That's cool. That's helpful. That's good.
you, Lord. Give us the question to ask. Respond to our questions with the reframe we need. Tell us you're good once again. Just like my own, my own son just needs to touch my face, needs to, needs to see me face to face, and it brings assurance to him. So, Lord, how much more do we, your people, need? that? We need to touch your beard, God. We need to touch your face. We need to see you. We need your kindness. We need your radiant face shining us once again. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God's doing all sorts of good stuff in us. What I want to transition us to now is just let's look, let's move from looking inward to upward. Okay, you let, you know, I'm not, I don't need to, I don't mean to push you out of that space. So if the Lord's dealing with you, you journal, you write down, you repent, you do what you need to do. But um, as, a, as a church, why don't we stand now? And let's transition from inward to upward. We're going to just worship Him. <laughs> when the questions are many, it's never a bad thing to just go from inward to upward. Let's do that now. <laughs> 